0: Embracing the Journey, a program focused on the freedom that comes from being able to talk about death. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank. Our topic today is about health advocates and navigating the healthcare system, especially during end of life. With us today is Dr. Corbett Riley with 20 years of clinical experience as a primary care provider in chiropractic and a health advocate since 2014. Welcome Corbett.
1: Thank you, Laurie, thank you for having me.
0: Well, Corbett, can you tell us how long have you been in the healthcare field? <laughs> um,
1: yes, I, I think it's coming up to 37 years now. Um, I started out in public health in, in Colorado for a couple of years and then moved on to chiropractic. Uh, been practicing in Nevada County for over 30 years and uh, been practicing uh, patient advocacy now for approximately seven years.
0: And what do you find rewarding in your vocation?
1: Um, you know, Lori, I think anyone that's in the, in the healing profession is a, uh, a hopeless codependent. <laughs> um, I, I personally think there's, you know, nothing more rewarding than uh, being able to help someone um, uh, alleviate their challenges when it comes to uh, any type of uh, physical, mental, or emotional uh, challenges that they might be having and for me that that's a two-way street also um, what I get from uh, my experience with patients is, is uh, it's a two-way street I sometimes think I get more than I give um, the the education I've got from uh, seeing people go through uh, challenges in their life and the adjectives of uh, grace patience uh, forgiveness, courage, uh, relationships all come to mind and uh, I can't think of anything more rewarding than being uh, in a, in a uh, profession that that has those kinds of rewards.
0: Well what drew you specifically to becoming a health advocate?
1: <laughs> um, approximately 10-12 years ago my legs started going numb uh, when I was practicing chiropractic and I went and consulted with the neurosurgeon uh, thinking I had bad discs in my back. He said, Corbett, yes, you do, but something else is going on and referred me to two other neurologists. And after, oh, about five MRIs and three gallons of blood, um, they finally came up with a diagnosis for me. But I was finally on the other side as a a patient and I could really see how fragmented uh, care is in the United States healthcare system. And I was fortunate enough to know the language. And so therefore um, I was able to advocate for myself. So after I retired from chiropractic, um, I had to sell my practice because of this autoimmune disease I was diagnosed with. And um, patients kept calling me uh, after I had retired saying, Corbett, I just got diagnosed with this. I don't know what to do here. Uh, I trust you. And so I I continue to. Ha- coach a lot of, uh, of my former patients, and then decided to go on and um, get a certification from UCLA. So I could, uh, I guess, officially say I knew what I was doing.
0: <laughs> well, can you tell us what a health advocate does? It's kind of a new term for me, and it may be a newer term for some of the listeners out there.
1: Yeah, um, health advocates, anyone can be a health advocate and typically Uh, people will go to the doctor's office and they'll take their spouse or a loved one or maybe a relative, a church member, a neighbor, whatnot, to just have an extra set of eyes and ears in the room. Um, But what happens sometimes is that someone will go to the doctor's office, they're in pain, um, they're perhaps medicated and they're scared uh, and they need a trained professional to uh, be in the room with them, someone that speaks the language. Um, different professions, let's say you go to a lawyer, they, they speak legalese. Um, I, I speak fluent medical terminology. So um, when a patient leaves the office and they've been with an advocate, advocate can walk back out, re-explain what the doctor said, and then start the process of advocacy, which is can be pretty complex. We kind of mirror the uh, dysfunctions, if you will, in the um, fragmented healthcare system.
0: So tell me more about that. Mirror the, the dysfunctions of the fragmented healthcare system. Um,
1: again, you know, uh, what happens is, let's say, Lori, you go in and the doctor gives you a diagnosis and uses all these terms. You don't really know what he said. You, don't know exactly what the test results said, you and I could walk back out and I could say, okay, Lori, this is what I think the doctor was trying to say. These are the options that he's provided. And these perhaps are the different referrals that you need to go ahead and uh, look at. Often those referrals get dropped somewhere along the line uh, where you're waiting to hear from a surgeon or you're waiting to go get a CAT scan, an MRI, and time goes past you're getting worried, you have a condition that you're concerned with. Um, and what happens is an advocate can get on the phone and say, okay, what happened? Lori's waiting for these test results or the test themselves, waiting to go see another specialist. I can also help uh, someone with getting who I think are the, the better caregivers or the specialists, uh, depending on the diagnosis. It's, it's common, I'll go down to Stanford or UCSF uh, UC Davis, things like that. Um, yeah.
0: And so I, I wanted to ask you why healthcare care uh, advocacy is important. I think you just touched on a couple of things that certainly I've experienced, and I'm sure other listeners have experienced in terms of that feeling like you've been dropped and not knowing how to follow up. But what other types of uh, pulling together that fragmentation does health advocacy, why is that important?
1: Um, again, Laurie, what happens very often is you're, uh, asked to make decisions and you are, uh, again, you're scared, medicated, uh, and you don't know the language. And often these decisions have to be made, uh, quickly. So I will typically walk back out and go over all the options that might have, uh, occurred and then go ahead and prioritize them, and then just start picking them off one by one in order to go ahead and provide uh, uh, the most timely care. I, small things, Lori. Like I'll I'll tell a patient, hey, you know what? Let's gather all your health records. Let's get them hard copy in a folder, because if you're working within one healthcare system, let's say Dignity Health, you get uh, you have to go over to uh, another healthcare system. Sometimes those computers don't talk to each other, and so you get to see a specialist and um, like I say, when you get audience with the Pope, you better be ready. Um, it, it's really important that you have everything in a row so you can get the most out of, uh, out of you know, a particular appointment. Patients that are prepared get the best care. I can, I can say that with all the confidence.
0: You you were listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guest is Dr. Corbett Riley, health advocate. I love what you just said, the most prepared patients get the best care. Uh, And is it, I mean, is that, why is that exactly?
1: You know, I think it's often that people go into the doctor and they they expect the doctor to know uh, what, medication changes they may have had or haven't had um, what has happened recently as far as tests Um, i think again what happens if a patient goes in and they have a list of questions let's say the three most pertinent questions and they're able to specifically identify uh, since their last visit what medication changes what different tests what other doctors they've seen perhaps another diagnosis they they have the gun loaded and therefore i think the doctor is going to know hey you know what this person is 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 ready to go i better in no better way to explain it but bring my a game if you will and um i, I i've observed numerous times that that really makes a huge difference
0: well are there different types of healthcare advocacy like you're talking about visiting doctors but what about like health insur- insurance uh, Placement, end of life, legal, different at different types.
1: Uh, absolutely, um, most healthcare advocates that I know of are retired uh, medical doctors, nurses, social workers, um, people that have had experience in in the healthcare industries themselves. But there are other advocates too that um, are, are are accountants or have been uh, lawyers, and they will do a lot of times. Um, The medical billing, the insurance, uh, end of life, legal issues, disability, things like that. So it's important if you're to go uh, interview a a healthcare advocate to find out what their field of expertise is.
0: Well, you mentioned um, some special training uh, and certification to be a health advocate. Is that uh, required? And how did you find out about it? (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, No, it's not necessarily required. Presently, um, we are trying to get a uh, board certification uh, in the United States for for advocates, just like uh, a medical doctor, you know, there's the medical board. We want to get that in place also. So there is a certain standard in the industry, if you will, uh, that people can qualify to be an advocate. Uh, again, most advocates that I know of have experience in the healthcare industries in one way or the other, but it's not necessary. I, I have known some patient advocates um, that are great because of um, some of the personal things. They might have lost a, a spouse or a loved one, and they really know a specific area, and they're great at advocating.
0: Well, who does the health advocate work for? I I, I have heard... Uh, somebody was in the hospital who mentioned, well, we need an advocate. and We're going to get an advocate. And then it sounds like you're working for the patients. So they work for hospitals or individuals or how does that work?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Laura. Yes. uh, Advocates call come in all different professions. Um, There are advocates in the hospital, also advocates that work for insurance companies, but private patient advocates like me, I work for you. at the end of the day, and I say this with all due respect, most advocates—let's take insurance—they um, do a great job helping people with, let's say, medications and whatnot. But at the end of the day, um, who signs their paycheck? You know, it's the insurance company, and sometimes it's—it's it's quite common that uh, an advocate like myself will have to go ahead and challenge an insurance company because of uh, a certain medication denial or whatnot. So uh, again, a private patient advocate, uh, which is, I'm proud of is um, we work for the individual, not for a corporation or a company.
0: How would somebody go about finding a health advocate, especially, you know, this show, a lot of, we're talking about end of life and, and, you know, there's a lot of pain and, and sometimes intense timelines. And uh, how do you find out about this? And how do you pick the right person for you?
1: Um, As always, you can start with a Google search. Um, I know a lot of my referrals come from from doctors, accountants, attorneys, um, hospice. Uh, But it's important, I think, when you do finally find uh, an advocate, I would interview a couple of different advocates and see who you kind of align with. Um, Find out what their experience is, Uh, where their specialty lies, Um, especially, I think, more than anything else, you have to be comfortable with your advocate. It's a very intimate relationship.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, just how intimate it is and the fact that with HIPAA, you know, sometimes a spouse can't even advocate fully without getting all sorts of paperwork signed. So is that something that you work with your clients to your patients to uh, set up so that you have some ability to communicate on their behalf. Clearly. Uh,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That comes in a lot of different forms and, and uh, yeah, I, that part I know well.
0: (laughs) So you would, you would know what to do. You could take them step-by-step in terms of the paperwork to, to do that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Laurie, that's, that's pretty much a given in my profession. Yes. Yeah.
0: So what, kinds of qualities and you were mentioning that a little bit, um, in terms of specific knowledge base, but are there qualities that, that you think makes a good health advocate?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you have to be a good listener more than anything else. And I like to say, you have to be able to listen between the lines. Um, sometimes the people I work for just—they're not at their best, and it's not their fault. There's a lot going on uh, mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I think you experience really helps—that you have to know the system and know how to work through it. And you have to um, be firm but respectful when you're in a doctor's office. That hey, you know what? I'm not there to um, give a, um, a second opinion or to treat or but you're really there to help the doctor and help help the doctor help your client. And sometimes there's uh differences of opinion. So again, I think you have to be a good listener, but then you have to be able to go ahead and speak up when it's time to um, voice your concerns for your client, because I think sometimes they don't know when that time is.
0: So I'm think- thinking, Corbett, about some people that I've known in my life that uh, may be alone there. They may be older and, mm-hmm. and, without children nearby or loved ones who can help them. And it's, it is the doctor's appointments, but it's also figuring out how they're going to get there and how they're going to get their medicine and uh, you know some of the just social aspects of it. Is that something a Health Advocate can help coordinate resources?
1: Absolutely, Lori. That I would say is the majority of my work, I think, is working with those Uh, patients that don't have anyone immediately nearby and sometimes they don't have anyone, no other family members. I I work for a lot of adult children for their elderly parents Um, and having been in this community for over um, 30 years now, I feel that I'm pretty well connected when it comes to, okay, how do we get the medications? How do we arrange transportation? I mean, I was working with a gentleman that was going to be released from a convalescent hospital and then we realized he couldn't get up the stairs at home so i'm on the phone calling um a um, contractor to see if we can get some stairs built quickly so he can get back in his house you know it's just there's a lot of different challenges that come up and again it's not all necessarily in the medical field itself
0: yeah that does sound like full full service and, and you're listening to Embracing the Journey on KVMR. I'm Lori Burkhart Frank, and my guest today is Dr. Corbett Riley, Health Advocate. So you, you were just giving some examples there, and that's always really helpful to understand. Um, I, I know you've talked about helping with decision making. So, are there any examples without breaking any confidentialities, kind of maybe general themes, uh, decisions that, that you help folks? get to? And, and again, a lot of times what we're focused on here is the end of life. Uh, and there are some big decisions to be made. And so do you end up in those kinds of conversations?
1: Uh, yes, very often. And, uh, I just have to say that's, it's a sacred space for me, um, that somehow the powers that be have my life intersect with those people's at at that time. It's just, um, like I say, Lori, it's kind of a sacred position to be in. Um, without breaking any confidentiality, I, I, you know, just was in an oncology office. This is the second time round for a woman uh, with lung cancer, and uh, she had a lot of different options put out. And we had to leave and just kind of decipher what are you comfortable with, you know, how far do you want to go with this? She had been through it before. Uh, She has decided to go through it again, but um, there's a lot of different options uh, as far as the um, um, oncology radiation, let's say, um, uh, the uh, chemotherapy that she's going to take, what types of chemotherapy, what are the dosages, how long, and eventually it might, conversation might uh, come down to, hey, you know, it's, it's time to stop treatment and start looking at quality of life. Very serious conversations. But um, again, I think it's really nice when someone is able to go ahead and uh, discuss those with someone that they trust that has no agenda. Sometimes, unfortunately, family members, there's a lot of uh, politics, if you will. And I find uh, with an advocate, when I can be one on one with the patient or one on, you know, with the family, that's, lack of a better term, fairly functional. Uh, I can help them kind of um, take the drama out of it, if you will, and go ahead and look f- at things that are a uh, little bit more concrete, what the decisions might be. And support them in whatever decisions they do. I, it's important to, I, I, again, I don't make any decisions for anyone, Lori. I just try to help people um, go ahead and, and get to the point where they feel comfortable with the decision that they are making.
0: And that is so important and so hard when it's a family member. I liked how you said, you know, you don't have an agenda, uh, and you, you're sharing about some diseases that that are very if serious and, and uh, possibly life ending. What about when people want to do something alternative that may or may not be part of the best practices plan by many doctors, but it's something that is so important to them? Is that would you support them and help them with their desire and goal or would you try to steer them towards uh, something more of what maybe the family would like to see? How do you handle a situation like that? Corbett?
1: That's a great question and I can feel the wall behind me now, laura you're backing me right into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I again, I think it's really important. Uh, I mean we all live in a certain paradigm. and let's face it in Nevada County. Uh, There is a lot of alternative healing going on. I think uh, my responsibility to a patient would be to go ahead and put out the full menu of options, uh, what the pros and cons are of each option. And then again, it's it's finally going to be up to a um, the individual to choose what they are comfortable with. Um, I would, though. If someone decided to do something that's really off in left field, I would try to uh, share with them maybe some of the other options that they might want to consider and why they might want to consider those options.
0: I suppose that is that, as you were talking about earlier with a health advocate that works for a hospital or insurance company, there there is an agenda. And um, so that would be and again, it's a personal conversation, an intimate relationship in terms of how you work together with your client. What about any other uh, maybe stories uh, that that have um, something that we could take away a way that's kind of inspirational or that really worked well for uh, a patient or a family where at that moment of clarity, where they finally understood something, the doctors were trying to communicate with them.
1: Uh, Sure. I, I worked with a woman um, that had a pretty severe double impact
0: uh, collision
1: and she pretty much got crossed off as this uh, neurotic mother of one uh, child. And uh, we went to several appointments and the doctors if they couldn't explain what was going on with her um they kind of dismissed her for lack of better words or passed her on to the next specialist finally uh, she got diagnosed after a lot of pushing i mean we weren't a neurologist that just um she was just uh, i don't know how to say it She just disregarded. She came and gave this woman a a diagnosis before she even examined her or looked at her records. And we were both really put off to to come down the road. Finally, she did finally get a, a diagnosis, a confirmed diagnosis of a traumatic brain injury. And that's why all these different things that she had tried did not work. No one had addressed that. So when we finally got in the car and we were driving home, she was in tears as I'll be honest with you, Lori, I was too, that she finally said, you know, it's not me. It's not my fault. Um, And it was really nice to see someone validated that, Hey, you know what? Um, It was a journey, but now we can move on and address this traumatic brain injury. And she has since been getting the help that Mm -hmm. she needs.
0: Well, that is an inspirational story. And I just want to go back and circle back to the what you talk about speaking a different language. So you're bilingual, you speak normal people talk, and you can speak the medical talk. And how does that uh, open up for, again, your patients that, that see you? How did do, how, do how does that change their world? once they realized that they just didn't speak the language.
1: Yeah. You know, Lori, um, if I was gonna sell my house, I I would hire a realtor. I could do it myself, but that's what they do for a living. And um, if I need taxes, let's say, I could do my own taxes, but I choose to have an accountant do for me. That's the language they speak because the ramifications of doing something wrong are pretty severe. You know, you don't want the IRS after you and you don't want to be in a lawsuit for something you missed when you sold your house from non-disclosure, you know. Um, The same thing with an advocate, you know, because we um, speak that language, I think uh, doctors respect us when we're in the room with the patient, they know um, we have a certain standard of, of uh, communication that I think they appreciate. And uh, I think what happens when you can put it in the King's English to a patient, they really appreciate it. You know, what did this MRI say? You know, what does this test mean? And when you can break it down and, and then they're like, it's the oh, oh, oh moment, you know, where they go, I get it now. And I'm a visual learner. So I try to put things in a visual perspective for people. And like I say, when they finally get it, then they're more um, capable, I think, of making intelligent decisions.
0: Well, we're coming close to the end of our show, Corbett. And what would you like listeners to take away from this program? Um,
1: The biggest thing I think as an advocate, I try to tell all of my patients is to be proactive. Um, I get a lot of calls when there's a crisis. There's a lot that people can do in order to be proactive especially as they're getting a serious diagnosis or getting uh, into their uh, elderly years. You know, consulting with an elder care attorney, getting um, some paperwork together, those type of things I think are, are vital um, because they're gonna have decisions uh, further down the road. And I think they have to burden themselves with those things that they can do now. Um, they can really uh, be more self-serving by addressing it now. Um, you know, Lori. let's face it, no one gets out alive, you know, so we, I think it's a really good idea to go ahead and um, uh, be prepared. Yeah.
0: And so again, how would they, how does the listener go ahead and find a health advocate? You're, you're saying just, just Google health advocates and and do some interviews? Yeah, there's
1: um, there's a couple of uh, different associations. One is Advo Connection. Uh, there's another one called NIAC. Uh, there's another one, APHA. And they have list of uh, professional patient advocates. And again, uh, yeah, I think the interview is the most important thing. Just find someone that you feel you can trust and you can connect with. I would certainly recommend uh, uh, interviewing a couple different advocates. You know, we, we come in different shapes and sizes.
0: Well, Corbett, it's been a pleasure to learn what you do and to, and to get to meet you. And you've been listening to Embracing the Journey. I've been, I'm have been i Lori Burkhart Frank, and I've been talking with Dr. Corbett Riley, health advocate. You can tune in and listen to Embracing the Journey on the fourth Tuesday of each month at 6.30 p.m. We want to thank our engineers, Ralph Henson and Jeff Wright, and we want to thank Jeff Wright for our theme music. Thank you, Corbett.
1: Thank you, Laurie, a pleasure.
0: Mm